with the implementation of the private option. Director Selig, Dr. Alice, and Dr. Thompson, um, if you all are here, you're making your way in, if you'll come up here and say your name uh, and title for the record, you'll be rec recognized to uh, give us an update. Okay, and members, they do have a handout that have we already passed. Okay, you already have. You should already have a handout. It's just the enrollment by county from DHS. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm John Seeley, Director of the Department of Human Services. It, we were outside. We didn't realize that was going to go as quickly as it did. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just start and, and do a quick overview, and then I think uh, Dr. Allison is going to talk a little about some of the demographics, and Dr. Thompson has some information to add also. Um, I'd just say in general, the, the private option continues to operate well. Uh, enrollment is pretty steady. Um, our call centers are busy with people you know, trying to understand exactly how it works. Uh, and we continue to be pleased by the demographics we see that you know, Dr. Allison can talk more about. Uh, and as you know from our last public health meeting when uh, Governor Levitt was here, we're continuing to work hard on the second phase of the private option, which has to do with the health savings accounts and some cost sharing and eventually moving even more people off of the traditional Medicaid program into the private sector. Um, we now have about um, 100. You, you have a map, I think, that uh, has been distributed to you that shows by county how many people have uh, are now eligible in each county for the private option. That includes both uh, people in the private sector and then about 10% of whom are on standard Medicaid because of their medical needs. Um, but again, the, the, the enrollment seems to be going well. Uh, with that, I think I'll let Dr. Allison talk a little bit more about kind of who we're seeing in the program. Uh, again, for the record, I'm Andy Allison, Director of Division of Medical Services at DHS. Uh, we continue to develop and, and uh, uh, run regular uh, reports, uh, as you might imagine, from uh, the private option and, and enrollment continues uh, to grow. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to provide an update on demographic information that I think was first published and discussed uh, either a week or two ago. And that earlier group uh, uh, w covered enrollees from essentially October and November, uh, a large group of which were the uh, uh, SNAP-facilitated eligibles, uh, which is a very different process, uh, same criteria, but different process uh, than for others. And, and what we're seeing now with the enrollees from December and January to date uh, is uh, a somewhat different group, uh, as you might imagine. So, for example, the... Uh, December and January enrollees uh, so far, we've seen uh, about 30% of them, which is not far off our prediction, uh, the actuary's prediction, uh, the kind of uh, survey-based, population-based prediction, about 30% are between 100 and 138% of poverty, and about 70% are, are below, and that's, that's different than the very first group of enrollees. Uh, the second thing we're finding is that more of them uh, are taking the uh, screener and making their own selection uh, of a health plan. That's now a distinct majority uh, of, uh, of the population, over 60%. Uh, I think likely that's uh, in part due to the, in, the involvement of uh, brokers, uh, private brokers, uh, in the process which began 
um, just right after the Thanksgiving, uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, it is uh, somewhat more male, uh, although still a majority uh, uh, female among, uh, among the enrollees. So I thought I would just share uh, some of the recent demographics that we have seen uh, from enrollees in uh, December and January. Uh, and uh, that total, by the way, was... Um, uh, let me see if I can get that total for you. About 17,500 enrollees into the private option that is qualified health plans uh, and uh, uh, 20, so it's about 2,800 uh, determined medically frail and enrolled back in traditional Medicaid. So I uh, hope that's uh, useful and helpful and it's up to just, just a couple of days ago or so. Mr. Chairman, I would just add in case anyone, in case there's any confusion when Dr. Allison talked about brokers we're helping people. That is different than navigators. The brokers would be insurance agents and other insurance brokers who do that as part of their business. We're seeing them increasingly involved uh, with citizens kind of helping them get signed up for this. And I, and I would note that, I mean, because the demographics continue to look good, we continue to feel strong, strongly that uh, this relatively young, healthy population is helping the insurance market as a whole. Uh, and, and ultimately will probably help keep all of our rates down because you're bringing in, at this point, close to 100,000 uh, clients into the market that uh, should be attractive to the insurance carriers. I, um, I'll probably ask you a question about that, um, the, the first question, but thank you. Is that Dr. Allison, is your conclude? Okay. Dr. Thompson, Mr. Chair, uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'll be brief. Uh, three things I would just like to bring people's attention to. The Jackson Hewitt report that came out yesterday, uh, showing this state having the protection from the 27 to $40 million employer taxes because of the expanded coverage for those that are in the risk corridor that the private option covers. Second, I would give you a report from our monthly meeting that we have with the medical society leadership and the hospital association leadership and the carriers. Um, carriers report that one of the concerns that they had had... Hey, Dr. Thompson, sorry, could you get the mic a little bit closer? Sure. Or straighter? Yeah, thank you. Uh, carriers uh, reported that people were paying their premiums for those that are above the line and that owe premiums uh, so that they are participating in the insurance marketplace. Uh, the providers are seeing individuals hitting their doors that are with new coverage. And anecdotally, we are seeing individuals have significant clinical conditions be addressed that historically were not addressed and that would have been potential catastrophes that would have hit as uninsured, uncompensated costs on the rest of the healthcare system. So I think the intent of uh, your passage a year ago is starting to unfold in the clinical delivery system. We are, by the way, hearing from other hospitals in other places where insurance expansion did not happen. The Medicare cuts are starting to have real effect, and it's having an effect on our hospitals too. Uh, Baxter Regional is one of the top ten hospitals of Medicare exposure uh, up in the northern part of the state. So. Uh, I think the disruption continues, but the private option is having a stabilizing effect uh, within our healthcare system. Okay, thank you all three. I'm gonna rattle off some questions and then um, we'll keep going on questions, but I'll start with Dr. Thompson since you've just concluded. When are we gonna have any information, um, even though I know it will be incomplete for a while, but about ER usage um, from private option enrollees? We are not scheduled to have claims data reported from the carriers for analyses until near the completion of 
well, actually in the first quarter of the second year of the program. Mm -hmm. uh, so as far as systematic statewide data, it'll be about a year after the people first started using the system that will end up with claims data. Uh, and that'll, that's going through the, the uh, insurance department carrier management process on plan management. Um, that surprises me that it's going to take so long. You know, I, I read the, store, the study that came out a couple of weeks ago where um, you know, ER usage increased, which I don't, I don't think should have been surprising. I mean, the question is, do they go back um, you know, for trip two, three, four, or do they change their behavior um, after that initial you know, entrance into the, into, um, the health care system? So it, is there any way, uh, are we going to have any sort of feedback from that? Even if I, think we can, I think data? we can get you some early information, and I think you're alluding to one of the issues that we continue to work with the providers in particular. We've got to educate people about how to use the health care system with an insurance card. They're going to where they've always gone without an insurance card, and now we have to actually educate them about how to use the system with an insurance card. But I think we can try to get you some less than complete information earlier than a year from now. Right. It's, Okay, go well, ahead. I just know, Mr. Chairman, there, there's a study that recently came out of San Diego County, which actually has, I think, 10 million people in it, so they're a county, but they're bigger than most states, um, where they actually have seen, with people they have covered, they've seen a reduction in ER usage, and I think it's because, from talking with people in, in San Diego County, they are doing work similar to what we're doing with health homes, medical homes, really trying to get their the patients hooked up with the doc and for so that as Dr. Thompson described, they can think differently about their usage. And I think that was a problem in Oregon. They simply gave them coverage and didn't do the kind of reforms that were really part of the the package here when you all passed the private option that said, you know, we we're not just adding coverage, we're really transforming the way we provide the coverage. And if I could add just one thing from the you know, just general literature on health services use. Uh, long term, it, the Oregon study's result was actually not surprising at all. Uh, we already knew that. Uh, we knew that two things happen: Co coverage affects use of health care. That's why, that's why you want to cover folks. Uh, and when you cover the uninsured, uh, they t either tend to believe they have or actually have more access to that ER, and it's a change in behavior. What what we didn't hear in those reports was the flip side of the story, which is that the use of appropriate health care also goes up with coverage and with Medicaid coverage and actually goes up by more than the use of the ER. I think that's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't undermine the, the challenge that, that we need to move care away from the ER. That's, that, that, it, that doesn't, I don't want to make that point, but I do want to make the point insurance coverage matters and and there was another half to the story that kind of didn't come out uh, with, with the Oregon result. Mr. Chair, I'd add just in year two of the private option is the requirement of the carriers to participate in the patient-centered medical home also, which will in, imply a shared savings model for primary care doctors to engage with their patients to not use the ER. They will actually have a financial incentive to actually have the patients help avoid the ER also. Right. Um, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the good news is if they go back to the ER continually, the carrier is going to lose money, which is not what carriers like to do. Um, could you? Well, my last question would be to ask you to elaborate on one of you talked about paying premiums and that you're actually seeing um, the enrollees pay, you know, whatever share of the premium uh, they're supposed to pay. 
Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. For those individuals that are above the uh, Medicaid private option line, uh, as, as their participation in the federally facilitated exchange, they have a premium price that they get a advanced tax credit depending upon their income, but they owe the other part of the premium before their coverage is in effect. One of the concerns that the carriers had expressed was that the individuals wouldn't write the check for the premium for their share of that coverage. And by early reports this month and at the end of last month, individuals were writing that premium check so that they would have coverage. So uh, again, I think we've got lots of concerns on the table. We're starting to try to tick them off to say, okay, is this a big problem or is this a not a big problem? And that one was one that we can check off and say it's not a big problem. Well, let's just assume because somebody's not going to, right? Um, even if it's just one person, what, what happens when they don't? How fast do they lose coverage? There's some transition issues because of the fiasco of the federal exchange here in the first month or two. Uh, I think as things play out by March, probably you'll lose coverage at the beginning of the next month if you haven't paid the premium. Okay. I mean, that's still pretty fast to me. I don't know what other people's standards are, but the next month is probably what's expected if they don't pay their premium. Okay. Senator Bledsoe, you're recognized for a question. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Dr. Thompson, your mic wasn't on when you first started talking, so would you explain what you were talking about again with the Jackson, Jackson Hewitt study, please? I didn't hear that part. Sure. <clears throat> Members of the committee will remember, I think, uh, a year ago the uh, national accounting firm Jackson Hewitt came out and shared with each state what they assessed the range of tax liability was for individuals who were not covered in the 100 to 138 range if states did not expand Medicaid. For large employers, if you employ someone and they don't participate in that range, you're subject to a penalty of two to $3,000 depending upon uh, your participation rates. So they estimated a year ago, yesterday they came out and released a follow-up and it's not too dissimilar. The numbers are a little bit larger than they were a year ago. I think what is graphically more visible here is they've done color codes. There are gray states that have not expanded. There are white states that have expanded, and they go state by state to see what the tax liability is for employers in those states. Well, thank you. And, and what, I mean, it was my understanding that the employer mandate had been postponed until 2015. Is that correct? You, you are correct. It is not in effect for this year. It still is in effect for next year. There are those who are uh, thinking that possibly it will be repealed. Is that not correct? I think there are probably people thinking that all aspects of this could all be right. modified in a thousand you're, different ways. You're right ways. about that. Okay. Now, am I correct? Uh, only 20% of the businesses in Arkansas would be affected by this because it, we, that's about the number, the percentage of those businesses that have 50 or more employees. Is that not correct? You're correct in that the number of employers is relatively small compared to small businesses, which are, are under 50. The number of employees that are, that are impacted is much larger than 50% because more people work for a large company than for a small company. Just All the right. numbers play out. All right. And then the last question I have is if those employers uh, that have the 50 and over employees, if they just... Uh, have the insurance, or they pay the penalty. This is not. This doesn't affect them, does it? The penalty is the tax penalty that Jackson Hewitt is describing. Okay. So if they just buy the insurance, then there is this. The private option and all of that is not affected. Is that correct? 
I'm not sure I understand. Well, I, as I was reading the article, the mandate was not mentioned, and that was a disappointment. And most of the article was about the private option, and it kind of got thrown in there, and it just sounded as if there was a tie-in, but there is not, is there? The mandate is not in effect this year. The private option is. The mandate is scheduled to go into effect next year. I don't know what's going to happen next year. So there is there's overlap. I think that's the best way to put it. All right. It. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Okay. Thank you. Um, Representative Hutchison, you're recognized for a question. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I have two quick questions. One to Dr. Thompson. On that uh, $40,000 tax liability there you was talking about, if I have understood this correctly, that involves about 30,000 people, correct? On, we're on the Jackson Hewitt study? Yes, sir. Uh, it's 40 million, not 40,000. So, okay. So, so this is. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's you're right. right. You're that's right. right. That's a big difference. But uh, it was 30,000 people that were affected, correct? Are you talking Arkansas, Representative Hutchinson? Yes, sir. Yes, in sir. Arkansas number? yes, just in Arkansas. Yeah. Let me look and see. Yeah, 34,000 folks. Okay, uh, let's just have a scenario here. If they were self-insured, that tax would be this, wouldn't it? I'm assuming, yes, if they were all self-insured. It would be zero, would correct? Be ERISA governance, if that's what their employer was choosing to do, yes. Okay, thank you. And All right, my next question is uh, to Mr. Sealing and Dr. Allison. Uh, were you all ever shown... We're, you know, we're getting back to the emergency room, uh, the problem with the emergency room people, you know, overusing it. Were y'all ever shown a plan that was uh, save our state $192 million? I know that may be putting you on the spot there. but Well, I, I believe you shared with me a proposal from uh, a, a vendor who felt they had a plan that uh -huh. could help us I don't know that it was specific to the emergency room, but in general, it helped kind of help us manage our high-cost clients. Mm -hmm. And actually, as, as you and I have talked, our patients in our medical home and the primary care case management uh, request proposals that actually we're going to talk about later today, give you an update on, both of those kind of get at that same issue, which is how do we support doctors in helping to manage their clients that really need a lot of support. That's a lot so, of money, hundred ninety-two yes, million. Yes, and it's and, and to your point, it's I mean, it's critical that we, as we've talked about before, we spend about ninety percent of our money on ten percent of our clients. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just the nature of healthcare, and it's really important to help those ten percent use the healthcare system wisely. You know, it was my it was my thinking that if we could save money as a state on something to that effect, that premiums would do this instead of this. Yes, I, I think that's why the, the private sector has joined with us in the payment improvement changes we're making, is, is we all agree, and why, why they were supportive when you passed the private option bill, why they were supportive of having the patient-centered medical home in the bill as a mandate, is they realize that it's important for every patient to have that kind of support. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Representative Hammer, you're recognized for a question. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Dr. Thompson, I wanted to ask you about something you made a minute ago about uh, educating people on, you know, how to use their health card when they, when they have it. I mean, I, I can't walk into any of my doctor's offices or anything. First thing they ask me is, you need a copy of your health card. So I'm curious, your educational process, 
is it leaning more toward the new ones that have it or toward the doctor's offices or could you qualify what you meant by that please well i think uh, you're correct in that the providers do in fact even ask at your time of making the appointment do you have a health insurance card and what is it so that they can check for it before you're there to make sure they have the eligibility issues i think much we have we have now 80 something thousand people probably most if not a large majority previously had no health insurance and their source of access was the emergency room. This is going to take a significant retraining of people to know how to optimally utilize a new benefit to both maximize their health and to effectively and appropriately utilize a limited set of fiscal resources. So I think we've got a, you know, this is, we're in the third week of people having an insurance card, so we, we haven't lost much time, but we're going to have to encourage all of our providers, all of our intake workers, uh, probably our non-health personnel to try to help people understand, you know, just because you have a cold doesn't mean you have to go to the emergency room. Okay. And you think that sooner than a year from now, I think is your time frame that we'll have some information on the ER, because I checked with a couple of hospitals, and one um, said that they only had six people that presented with the card through their ER in the sense it you know, went into effect. So what did you say as far as when you think you'll have the, the first indicators of numbers of true use? What's what's required both in the in the legislation as far as participation in the payment improvement effort and will be required when we finalize the waiver evaluation with the federal government is for them to turn their claims data over so that we can analyze what effects the private option had. Decreased ER use, improved prevention, decreased avoidable costs. Uh, we have to prove that to the feds in three years or they're not going to say yes you can continue even if you say yes we can continue. So, So that's as a complete picture, starting in year two, I think we will have that. I think we'll have some information before that, either from individual hospitals, as you're alluding to. Uh, some of the hospitals are giving me a different signal uh, in so, some parts of the state that they're, they're having a lot of people show up without any information, thinking that they now have an insurance card and they hadn't gone through the process. So we've got to continually kind of educate folks on what the right process is. We'll have some information for you, though, on uptake and on uh, information. What I don't want to get caught up on is anecdotal one-off stories where this person got helped or this person had a really hard time. I want to bring you a package so we can actually do a, a pretty good assessment on whether we're doing well or not. Okay. And, and to uh, Dr. Allison or John, a, qu a question regarding the numbers on the, on the handout sheet on page two. I was, uh, I was curious, who's validating the... I'm sorry. I don't believe we have that handout. Okay, sorry about that. Hey, my apologies. Uh, that was the sure. insurance department. You can ask them next if you right, like. Thank you. Thank you. My apologies. That's all. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Representative, or I'm sorry, Senator English, you're recognized for a question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I guess I was reading, I, this is the second time around when we first talked about the private option. We heard the $38 million that it was going to cost businesses here in the state. We're back to the same conversation one more time. As I read through that thing, though, the other day, and I guess I had some concerns when I heard this before, is basically what that's saying is, and as Senator Bledsoe said, the, end of the employer mandate's kind of gone away. But in reality, what you're talking about is employers saying, I don't want to have to follow these mandates and pay for insurance, so I would rather my employees go off and go on the private option and let the taxpayers of the state of Arkansas pay for it. 
Now, I may be totally wrong, but that's the sense I've gotten all the way through this, is this kind of a red herring out here, and maybe a scare tactic, because I don't think that, that the average person is thinking, I'm going to be able to, or employer, and I, you can't find, probably find a more business-friendly person in this room, but I find it very hard to believe that business people throughout the state of Arkansas would actually say, I don't want to have to provide insurance and follow those mandates and pay these costs. I would rather have my employees go on the private option so I don't have to pay those costs, which is going to save businesses here in the state of Arkansas $38 million. I find that very hard to believe. Well, and, and I don't want to take responsibility for the report, and I think that's why they have a range in here, depending on what employer actions are. I will tell you from my conversations, particularly with companies that have low-wage, high-turnover jobs, convenience stores, restaurants, those things, if the employer mandate is in effect, then they are really, by 